Well, how many of you, like me and my family, on December 21st, peeked outside to see something that has not been seen to the naked eye this clearly in the evening for 800 years, the conjunction of planets Saturn and Jupiter? Anybody else take that leap, go outside and see? Was anybody else as disappointed as I was when I saw that thing? Here I was reading in the paper, you know, this is the craziest thing that hasn't been seen in 800 years. 1226, I think, was when the last time you could see it this clearly in the evening. I walk outside, I'm all excited, and I look at it and I go, is this really what the wise men followed, the, the Bethlehem star, as it's called, the conjunction of planets, until I saw this picture? This is a picture from one of our members named Dave. He gave me permission to share this with you. As you zoom in, you can actually see the planet Jupiter and a ring around Saturn. Now, look at that. That's cool. Now, it's this story in the Bible, the story of what's called the three wise men centered around this mysterious star that really makes this one of the most well-known accounts in Scripture, whether you're a Christian for your whole life, a newer Christian, whether you're a skeptic here today watching online, not quite sure what you believe or know about Jesus. Most people have heard this because many people trying to make sense of a miraculous event in Scripture point to this conjunction of planets as something that maybe, if it wasn't a miracle, maybe that's what inspired the, the wise men to follow this long path, this long journey to get to Jerusalem and eventually Bethlehem from modern-day Iraq and Iran. But on this Epiphany Sunday, we're not here really to talk about wise men. We're not even here to really talk about the star. What's most critical to this account in Scripture and why we're here today is really the comparison, the great chasm between the two kings that are mentioned. On one hand, over here, we have King Herod, and from an earthly perspective, he was a very powerful, very good ruler. He amassed wealth, land, property, building projects. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem to the great size that it was before it was destroyed. And from an earthly perspective, you would look at Herod as a king and go, yeah, he was pretty successful. But he was also very ruthless. We know from outside biblical sources that not only did he have two of his own brothers killed to shore up his power, at the end of his life, he actually killed his own wife, believing that she was going to try to usurp his power and take it by force. And as you keep reading in this gospel, Matthew chapter 2, you'll see this horrible, and it really is a terrible story of how Herod, filled with rage, after the wise men did not return to him, goes out to the city of Bethlehem and the surrounding area and kills hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent babies and children up to two years old. A horrible story. This is King Herod. He would do anything to hold on to his power. But then on the other side, the other king, we call him King Jesus. Think about all that Jesus had from an earthly perspective. He had an incredible palace. Revelation describes it as the streets lined with gold, filled with all kinds of wealthy and expensive jewels, a palace that's never been seen anywhere like this on earth. He had name recognition. He had power himself. But this king, contrasted to King Herod, he actually gave up his power. He gave up his status. He became weak so that others might become strong. That's really what this account in Scripture is all about. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on those things. And as we look at this very familiar, well-known story in the season of Christmas and Epiphany, as we turn the corner of 2020, 
and we look forward to what God has in store for us for 2021, I want to share really two points with you that jumped out to me as I studied this. One is the hidden ways of God, how God worked in the life lives of the wise men, how God worked in the lives of the faithful throughout the centuries and what that means for us today, the hidden ways of God, and then also the values of God. What are the things that we see in Scripture that God values, and how might us following the same things, believing and trusting in the same values of God, how might that make a difference for how we face the future, an unknown future, in 2021? So if you grabbed a Bible, if you brought a Bible with you, and you ha- or you have an app on your phone, open it up, Matthew chapter 2. I want to encourage you, whether you're at home or here, to bring a Bible so that we can study Scripture together. It's an important tool that we have. And right off the bat, we'll see a point. Uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And if you notice here, if you brought your Bible or you're looking on, a, on an app, right after wise men is a little footnote. And these footnotes are important. Any good translation is going to have a footnote when a translator makes a choice to change the translation of one word into another. In this case, in the original Greek, this word that has been translated wise men is an occupation known as magi. In the original Greek, magikai, it means the art of magic. That's where we get our words today, magic and magicians. And this was an actual uh, job that people had in those days, and especially in the ancient Near East. And the original hearers, those who for the first time heard the Gospel of Matthew, would have thought of Magi not as intellectually elite people, but as, or, and not as kings, but as those in service to kings. They were employed by kings, and here's what they did. And you can look this up in Daniel. Daniel gives us the greatest description of what a magi did. They were essentially advisors to the king. They were spiritual leaders. So when the king had a bad dream and didn't know how to interpret it, they might call a magi and say, magi, what does this mean? And the magi would use all sorts of tricks and means to try to figure out what it was going on in the heart and the mind of the king. You look at the stars. And if the planets were aligning or if a star was brighter than another star, they might interpret that to mean certain something. They would look at ancient texts. They would do, yes, magic, anything that they could do to please their king and try to provide guidance for the king. That was the role of the magi. Now, something else that really struck me this time as I was reading this was also really how not wise these so-called wise men really are. Think about this for just a second. How many times did the wise men need help actually getting to Jesus? First of all, we have the star. God provides it. Second of all, they go to the wrong place. They thought that the king should be born in a kingly place in the capital city of Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem, knock on King Herod's palace door. He opens it up, welcomes it in. Herod doesn't know what's going on, so he has to call in the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders. They open up scriptures, and they go, nope, nope. It says here, Matthew, or Micah 5.2, that the king is actually going to be born in this little town called Bethlehem. The wise men say, great, thank you. They get on their camels. They start heading out, and they go, wait a minute. How are we supposed to find this baby, this child, when we get to Bethlehem? And then God provides this star. And we know that this is more of a miraculous event than just this phenomenon happening called the conjunctions of planets. Because look at what happens. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This was not an ordinary star. This was God's, basically, God's GPS version to help 
the so-called wise men get to the baby, and when they get there, they give him their gifts. And one last thing, verse 12. They're not very street smart either. They can't read the room because they needed a room, they needed a dream to figure out that Herod had evil intentions for the child. God warns them in the dream to go home a different way, probably save their lives as well. And I bring all this up to point out, again, our point is the hidden ways of God. When we look at the Magi and we translate them, this phrase or this title as wise men, I think our temptation is to think that, oh, well, it was them and their intellect and their prowess that got them from point A to point B, and we kind of minimize the miraculous. But the whole point of this text is not how wise these men were to get to the baby. It was the hidden work of God, how God has been working through hidden ways, secret ways through the centuries to actually get them to meet the baby Jesus. And this goes back even further, the hidden ways of God, because look of verse 2. How did the wise men know this phrase, the king of the Jews? These are pagan, non-Jewish magicians, advisors to an eastern king. How did they, where did they hear of this king of the Jews in the first place? Well, now we have to go back even further. Go back with me 600 years. This is Jerusalem, and it's under siege. The walls are being torn down. The army is being destroyed. The Assyrian army pours in. They destroy the temple. They rip apart families, and they take some of the Jewish people into captivity into the city of Babylon. And while they're there, God raises up a remnant, a faithful group of Israelites who never lost their faith, who trusted God, even though their circumstances were very, very difficult and bad. Men like Daniel, the prophet, women like Esther, the queen. And through their faithful witness, they're pointing to God as powerful and magnificent and loving. People's lives were changed. Even powerful kings like Cyrus were converted. They put their faith in Yahweh. And as a result, he allowed the people to go back to Jerusalem, some of them, but some of them stayed. And as they unpacked the Old Testament and as they taught the truths of the prophets, they came across and taught verses like this, Numbers 24, 17. Listen to this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Numbers 24, 17. See, it was that verse and other prophecies like it that the Magi, the advisors of the king, were looking at and thinking about when 600 years later God provided this star and they took out on a leap of faith. God, it was connecting the dots, moving in hidden ways, bringing everything together in his perfect timing, in his perfect way. Now let me ask you another question. Have you ever doubted the hidden ways of God? As you look back on 2020, or you think forward to an unknown future, have you ever in your life gone, God, wh what are you doing right in this moment? God, would you provide me a star so I could just have some sort of a, a hint, some sort of a clue on know how to follow you, know that you're working in my life, Lord. Where are you? Have you ever thought that? Am I the, literally the only one? I'm full of righteous people in this room. If that's you, I want to share something with you because I think oftentimes we do wish. We, we, we say, God, if you would provide this miracle, if you would just provide a tangible way that I could trust you, then I will know which way to go. Then I will know that, that you're behind this. 
But don't forget what the prompting of the wise men was in the first place. It was the word of God. See, they got a star, yes, but we have something far greater than a star. We have the entire revealed word of God. And with the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles and prophets in the New Testament, Jesus himself said that when you open these pages and when you read these words, this is just as if Jesus was right next to you, audibly speaking you words of truth and challenge and hope and comfort and love. Which brings us to another challenging question. How is your devotional life as we start this new year in 2021? Are you spending time digesting God's word? Are you opening up the pages? Are you taking time to hear from God the invitation? He says, just grab my hand and let me speak to you. Or does this book sometimes get kind of stuck on a shelf? And in a time of need, you might go, oh, that's right. Yeah, my Bible, I'll get rid of it. How's your worship life? I ask that question because we're right here at the beginning of 2021. I know that sometimes we make these things called New Year's resolutions. Maybe your New Year's resolution is to be more active in worship, watch more frequently at home. But I want us to wrestle with that today. I know it's challenging. I know it's law. But how's your devotional life? How's your worship life? And to illustrate for you a way that if you're struggling with that, if that's convicting, a tool that we've been using here in our discipleship huddles language that we use in our missional communities to help encourage us to to what we call set stones is this. I want to show you a picture of a river. And you'll notice those boulders in the middle of a river. And the water in this illustration represents all the things in which we fill our time with during the day. If you work, that's your job. If you have a family, that's your kids. If you play sports, if you like to exercise, if you're on social media and that's something that you enjoy, whatever hobby you have, all the ways in which we fill our time during the day, that represents the river. But then there's some things that we put in our lives that are immovable rocks, immovable boulders, and the water has to roll around it. It's too strong, it's too powerful in our life, too stable for the water to push over. And again, if you work, that's probably your work, because if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. And if you're a student, that's probably school, because if you don't go to school, then you can't get a job or go to college, and your parents will be mad at you, right? And so you have to go to school, you have to go to work, but are there any other boulders in your life that are maybe drowning out this voice of God? I mean, do you find yourself on social media more than you probably should be, or reading the news, or listening to podcasts, or listening to music, or watching Netflix. See, all these other voices that come inside our head are competing with the voice of God. And I see that we've got a lot of younger people here. I want to talk to you specifically if you're struggling with your identity, if you're worried about what people think about you and how you look, and you're not satisfied with your body image, If you're spending more time on social media comparing yourself to other people, that's doing you damage because your God, your Savior, created you uniquely and has amazing things to say to you about your true identity as a beautiful son or daughter of the King. And so I want to invite you, take him up on his invitation, make your Bible study and make your worship life an immovable boulder. Plant that in the river of your schedule and just see In 2021, what difference it makes in your life when you hear more of God's voice in your head than the voice of our culture or the voice of even our inner self. That's the hidden ways of God, something as simple and yet beautiful and profound as the word of God. Now, maybe you're convicted. 
Maybe you've already been doing this. Maybe you don't know where to start. If that's you, then before we can even get there, this is actually what's gonna be what motivates you to get to that point where you wanna create that boulder. We gotta spend some time thinking about as we close the values of God. I put my Bible down, but I still need it. Open back up to Matthew chapter two. One of the most incredible things that we see in this account is the fact that God chose, again, pagan, non-Jewish magicians to be some of the first to behold the majesty of Christ. He revealed, he revealed Jesus to them. And we learned on Christmas Eve, if you were here, if you watched it online, Pastor Abel talked about the shepherds. These were the outcasts of religious society in Jerusalem. They were stinky, they were smelly. People just kind of rejected them. But isn't that incredible? And this is where we see one of the values of God. He values the outcasts of society. And what that means is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be so amazing. It's going to be filled not only with everybody who so-called has it all together, but with the outcasts, rich and poor, intelligent and not so smart. But the greatest value that we see of God is his great love for the spiritually outcast. I don't know who the person in this room who's the most morally superior who obeys all the rules, who says their prayers, who goes to worship very, very frequently. It's probably Pastor Abel is my guess, as he, he's the winner. But as good of a person as you think you are, as much as you think you might be in control and in charge of your life, can you admit when you read scripture that you are missing one thing? You see, you're still a sinner. As hard as you try, as much as you pray, as much as you come to church here, do you still find that you can't control certain aspects of your life? That means that you're a sinner, which means that you're a spiritually outcasted person. And guess what? God still has love for you. Jump with me to the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Here's where we see this really unfold. If you remember, the beginning of the Gospel starts with this title, the King of the Jews. And the end of the Gospel of Matthew ends with the King of the Jews. Listen to this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. That's about 600 men. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked Jesus, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. See, when you compare these two kings, King Herod over here who did everything in his power to hold on to his power, to then King Jesus who allowed his power to be taken from him, he, was allowed, he allowed them to beat him, to strip him of his clothes, to mock him. And if you're struggling today with grasping on and believing that God loves the spiritually outcast, look no further than Jesus Christ who gave everything away, who became an outcast so that you could know without a shadow of a doubt that God's love for you is never-ending, that the hope is so strong, like the power of God is so strong in you, death can't even keep you down. 
That's the power, that's the hope that we see this Epiphany Sunday in the revelation of Christ, Christ for all the nations. May we as a congregation, may you and I as an individual put our hope in that as we look out into an uncertain future of 2021. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as Cassie said, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen. Amen.